love your word, Father. Your word is life to us. We can't do anything outside of your word. We can't do anything without your word. So we thank you, Lord, for your holy word. For it is good, it's right, and it's just. And it's a help to us in everything that we do in life. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Praise God. Amen. 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 So yeah, uh, last um, time I was here, we were talking about uh, chasing uh, donkeys, remember? we? <laughs> so that was a concept uh, that uh, it's not original with me. I got it out of a book I was reading. <laughs> but it's uh, written by a Christian man who uh, just thought about his his thinking was that um, so many times in our lives as believers, we think we're waiting on some something to change in our lives so that we can finally get our life together. Uh, and so he gave the example of Saul. We talked about him last week or last time uh, chasing donkeys because his that was part of his responsibility. So we talked about uh, some of the things that God is working in us while we think we're waiting on something big to happen. You know, waiting on our big this, our big that, our big opportunity, a breakthrough here, an open door there. We always tend to look at our lives as not being as satisfying in the now as it can be. Uh, Joyce Meyer did a whole uh, named her program uh, after this kind of thinking that we have where we think we're waiting on something to happen before we can be happy or we're waiting to get certain things before we can uh, um, enjoy life and so her her title was enjoying everyday life because she felt that it was so important and uh, she's a testament testimony to how much time she spent not enjoying her life as it was because she thought she couldn't if unless certain things happen and uh, she found that she had wasted many of her years um, disappointed angry upset frustrated uh, making other people around her miserable uh, just because she didn't understand the concept of enjoying life where you are now your life is what's inside of you it's not your surroundings and it's not it's not your your situation it's not what you possess it's not how you look it's not uh, what you think you're waiting on but your life is what's inside of you what do you have that God's placed inside of you in the now that you can draw from and that you uh, can live out of so that you can enjoy life to the maximum I remember when I was recovering from depression, I, my prayer to God was, God, I don't care what happens in my life. If my life, uh, at that time, I wasn't sure if I was going to have a marriage. I wasn't sure if anything was going to work out. But I just asked him to help me to learn how to be happy no matter what my situation was. And that's a prayer that, that really gets answered for all believers if we'll understand that life is more than food and clothing and the things we possess uh, it's more than our appearance and, and how we look you know so many times we spend so much time 
on appearance you know I worked in the beauty business for a while and uh, you know there were certain people that we we you know when you uh, see certain customers come in you know their everybody's eyes would roll to the back of their head because they were what we call difficult customers because they put so much stock in their appearance you know a hair couldn't be out of place or you had to get it just so or something like that and so it was one of those things where you even in the world you know people can be overly concerned with the appearance of things and and things in the natural to the point where they make themselves angry frustrated and upset if certain things aren't just so just the way they want them to be uh, I can remember being obsessed with my weight for so many you wouldn't believe it now but you know <laughs> the obsession was there <laughs> that you know I couldn't if I gained five pounds I took it right off you know I was on the scale every morning uh, because I couldn't get you know a, a, you know I had to fit in certain size you know that kind of thing and so and it wasn't about a health thing it was never about health uh, because I did some things that were very unhealthy just to make sure I maintain that standard but you'll find all kinds of, of, of um, carnal objectives uh, in people's hearts and their minds when when we live just out of the natural see this is and this is why God has has uh, given us a new dwelling place call his kingdom where those things are so far down on toward the bottom of the list it's not even funny because uh, people don't respond to you or or the last the thing that you leave with people that's lasting that's enduring that's really valuable has nothing to do with how you look nothing to do with that but it has everything to do with what's on the inside of you what's in your heart because out of your heart is what proceeds out of your mouth out of your heart is what you use your hands to do out of your heart comes all of these issues of life the the very very important things that sustain life and so that's what God does in developing us in our situation chasing our donkeys God is getting our heart situated right he's developing certain attributes and characteristics in us that are very very valuable long-lasting valuable characteristics uh, that will sustain our lives many times uh, you know parents I'm sure after your kids grow up and you realize that the ones that that kind of were disciplined and stuck with things when they were kids kind of have developed that over the years they'll be disciplined adults uh, they'll stick with things uh, they'll be sought after valuable people in their employment uh, valuable as friends to their other friends all of these things have to do with what's inside a person and what comes inside of us is is what God wants to do is make it long-lasting make it endurable make it something that we do consistently so we may have to live in a, a place of what we think is a holding place until we get what we want we may have to live there indefinitely and, and continue to uh, keep part of that in our lives even after you've got all the quote-unquote answers to prayer that you need or you got the success that you're looking for you got the prosperity God will still keep you something in your life that keeps you stuck in this routine this discipline this 
every day and then one day you'll wake up and realize that's really what God was after all the time I wasn't doing this just until I got an opportunity to do something great this is the greatness see the chasing donkeys is the greatness because of what it develops in you what it takes you to continue to do these things over and over again how on earth can you raise a family if you can't stay with a routine day after day after day without complaining doing it in joy knowing there's a purpose to it learning how to keep yourself encouraged in it how are you going to keep a job if you don't understand that a job cannot be exciting you're not the star of the show every time you punch in you know all that kind of stuff you have to live this disciplined low-key life so that you understand what life is really all about it's not it's not the you show you know it's the the uh somebody else is the star here uh, jesus wants to be glorified in our lives we have to understand that he is putting things in us he's putting a determination in us to succeed because if you get success without the determination to succeed in you that success won't last very long it'll be gone before you know it because you have no discipline no understanding of how to hold on to these things if you don't learn how to create wealth wealth will never stay with you and it will never be distributed properly because you have no concept of how to create wealth and so you you see many people who uh, their wealth is kind of suspect. You know, who did they who did they cheat to get this? If that'll tell eventually. See, that'll come back to haunt them at some point. Because if you skip any of these steps on your road to success, uh, then it'll show at some point. You wish you'd stayed there long enough to get that right. You know, to learn how to stick with something, even when the going was tough. You wish you'd learn those lessons because they're valuable. That's why you're here these are the lessons that God has us to learn and it's not because we're on our way to some place and when we get there we throw it away we're on our way there and we take everything that we learn with us so when we get there we can maintain we can prosper we can sustain we can make it we can do all of the things that are necessary to do don't ever think that what you're doing for God is just temporary until he gives you something more spectacular to do. You won't get the spectacular if you don't learn how to do the everyday. See, you won't get it. You won't get it. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of appalled sometimes where I see how Christians look at quality. What, what we value. Uh, we have gotten so good at valuing appearance. Uh, you're, if, if your teaching's good, it's got to mean that your people have a lot of money, have a lot of material things. You can, you're never a good teacher if, if you, if you're giving bread to poor people and sharing Christ. I mean, you're, that's not success to, even to Christian people now. And, and to me, it's appalling because if you can touch one soul with the love of Christ, if you can repeat what Jesus did one time in your life, he fed hungry people he ministered he showed prostitutes that they were loved you know not just handled and given attention but actually loved he showed people who God really was and you don't always show people who God is because you you got a real pretty place and, and big numbers and all that kind of stuff and you don't even know the condition of people's souls 
You can't tell me forty if you got forty thousand member church because you teach them. Uh, you don't beat up on them. You think that's what churches? Can you pay attention here? Don't look out there, please. Yeah, please, please, because that's distracting to me. I don't think people understand. It's hard for me to focus if you're looking elsewhere. And so if if you think that success is because you have 40,000 people, members of your church, but you don't know if they're saved or not. So you don't know who's led them to Christ. And then you don't preach the gospel. You just preach success. How's that success going to come if they're not born again? How's that success going to be there? How can you guarantee them success if they're not living a holy life? See, this is this is very, very important, folks, because we've the church is so compromised. We've changed. And then we look at people who are serving the poor as extraordinary instead of that being the average for all of us. See, it's like they get out and they do something that that. Oh, yeah, well, they're called to do that. But you're not. Why aren't you called to do that? See, why aren't you called to do that? We'd rather send a check to somebody who touches somebody than to touch somebody who's right next door to us. You got me. And so this is something that we have to understand God has to work all of this out of us while we're doing our routine everyday role and this routine everyday role is what we need to understand is our life this is your life the chasing donkeys aspect is is as good as it gets you got me if you can't see that as good if you only see that with disdain if you only see that as something you're doing temporarily until you can rise up in your pride again and and go do something else in the flesh then that's something that that we've missed drastically as people you know uh the routine of of getting your kids up every day and reading them a scripture at night praying with them before they go to bed all of those things don't ever see that as being something that's just routine every day there's no excitement oh boy I'll be glad when I get someone so and such and so I'll be glad when they get grown and I won't have to I can sleep in and I can do your mind may tell you that but you've got this is the routine that God's created for you to glorify him in you can glorify God in the everyday things you need to learn how to, to, to take the everyday and make it spectacular because you do it as unto the Lord. If you don't do things as unto the Lord, you'll never have any success. You're looking for, you'll be just as dry and lifeless and and uh, unhappy. Still waiting on something wonderful to drop in your lap to make you happy. When the happiness that God created for you is in the routine things of, of every day. And and holding you accountable for them so you don't let them slip. See? It's real easy to, when we start seeing things, uh, you know, progress and so forth, to let this go. Delegate this. Get rid of this. Get rid of that. And so if, if we understand that these things are essential for our discipline, essential for our character. And that's really why God saved you, isn't it? To cause you to conform to the image of Christ. Isn't that what we're here for? Isn't that what's important to us? Is that conformity to Christ's image? And he made himself of no reputation. He wasn't looking for the day when he didn't have to have the disciples with him so that he could lord it all over Caesar and tell Caesar who he really was. You 
got me. So he wasn't looking for any any great happening to happen. And neither should we. We should understand how important it is to do the everyday and to do the normal and to do it as unto the Lord. I think if we would understand that routine is something that that uh, will always be a part of our lives, we can find joy in the routine. We can find excitement in the things that God has put in our lives that just cause us to um, to get bored or you know wonder when this is going to change. It'll change when you change your attitude toward it. So I think what we all need is an attitude adjustment. You know, not do things in such a routine, robotic fashion, but ask God how to make it uh, something that would glorify Him more. God, how how can I do this in a better fashion so that it'll be a greater blessing to people and in that kind of thing? So, and that's what God looks for. That's what He calls excellence. It's the excellent attitude that you have, even toward the things that you think are so uh, everyday and routine. You know, sometimes routine. If you love routine, uh, routine will have add more, more added to it. You got me. And so God wants us to be good stewards of things as well. We don't have discipline. You don't have that inner discipline, that inner toughness to learn to stick with things even though it doesn't look like it's going to change. You won't have that for God. See, there would be something lacking. If he does give you good things, you'll be nervous. You're going to lose them all the time because of the fear that's in your mind. So... This is a time also when people, worldly people, when we get stuck in a kind of a rut mentality, we said worldly people will start to get into sin. They'll bored worldly people like to take drugs, like to go have affairs, like to go and do things that are, are immoral and illegal. And so people in the world have to watch themselves. Christians do it too. We are Christians that get bored because they don't think it's exciting anymore. You got pastors who do that. Men and women of God who God has blessed them and, and given them a name and given them a reputation, given them some prominence, you know, that he wants them to represent him with. And instead of them understanding that the routine is good, you got me, it's good. Chasing donkeys is a good pastime. Just doing what you're required to do and doing it and obeying the authority over you, it's a good thing to do until something better comes along. I remember uh, Clarence McClendon, who's on that uh, Preachers of L.A. Uh, he first, when he left his first wife, and uh, he was part of uh, um, the um, Four Square uh, church organization. And uh, um, uh, Jack Hayford is is uh, the overseer uh, over them, and they had called him in for counseling, and he refused counseling. And uh, accused them of being jealous of him because he had a big church and they were all struggling or whatever he said. But let me tell you something. If you got what you got from God, nobody's jealous of that. Because the same God who gave it to you can give it to somebody else. You got me? And in fact, if you don't please God, he will take what he's given to you and give it to somebody else. And he left a denomination. He's been going downhill ever since. You know, got death threats and all. He's got bodyguards around him. He had that when he was a four-square pastor. He had he had the church he has now is nothing compared to what he had then. He's lost almost everything. All he's got is a, a you know a false image. You got me of who he thinks he is, and that's all people like that get left with. Why they get sick of the routine. 
See, they get sick of the discipline. They don't want to stay under authority anymore. Now they know more than the people that helped them when they were small, you see. And so you have to really understand this concept as being vital to your success, to your continued success, uh, to your uh, um your relationship with God and your well-being spiritually and in the natural realm. So this is, it's very important that you keep this discipline about you. So last time we talked about Saul and we talked about him being the people's choice. This time God is going to pick somebody he wants to pick. So God will give people what they they want. There's a season when he does that. He does it in a political realm a lot because this is what people, you know, have voted for. We're we're a, a republic, not really a democracy to a degree. We are, we're a republic, and we've we've uh, desired to do elections and all that kind of stuff for the leaders. We have a system where we pull these people, and so God has to honor those things that that groups of people say that they want, and so He'll do that sometimes with His own people. As well, if people say they want certain things, they have a, a perfect right to want it. Not that it's the best thing for them and God if they'd ever check with God and say, God, am I in the right church? Am I under the right teaching? Am I doing the right thing? And God will tell them definitely whether they're supposed to be there or not. But pretty much people do what they want. So here's a situation though where God is going to choose the person that he wants uh, to lead Israel now. So if you turn to 1 Kings 19, it's a lot of uh, text. I'm going to read from the Amplified again. We see Elisha the prophet has, uh, Elijah the prophet has has, uh, uh, had an a confrontation. Uh, I think this was right after um, he had uh, confronted uh, on Mount Carmel. He confronted the prophets of Baal, and he has slain all of the false prophets and scored a mighty victory for the Lord. But uh, Elijah is is kind of tired of chasing donkeys. So this is a point in his life where he's wanting a change. And uh, Jezebel has threatened him. In fact, she sent servants to threaten him. And we kind of get an uh, an understanding of the prophet's problem here. You know, you get a, a, a behind-the-scenes look at what's going on in his life. And in 1 Kings 19, verse 1, it says, uh, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had slain all the prophets of Baal with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I I make not your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Now this is how this this couple operates. Sometimes she's the man, sometimes she's the woman. You got me? Uh, this is this is a, a man and, and that's why we pray against these powers because they upset what God's order is in the earth. When they're loose and, and you see a lot of the evidence of this kind of thing. Uh, she'll do his signature because he doesn't want to do what he's supposed to do and so outside of God you know if she were a woman that loved God and understood God she would pray and ask God to help the man to be what he needs to be not her call the shots but you know trust God 
to make these changes but she likes doing this because she's under a different authority she's not under the authority of God uh, Jezebel is part of the uh, Baal worship uh, order she she's uh, uh, um, serving other gods and so this is one of the reasons why God does not want us unequally yoke believers with unbelievers because the believer always gets pushed aside and has to compromise and the unbeliever gets to run things and so he says here she she threatens the prophet herself she didn't wait for her husband to speak up she does his dirty work for him many times and says then he was afraid and arose and went for his life so this is the prophet being fearful of the words of the enemy so he got up and went for his life and came to Beersheba of Judah was over 80 miles and out of Jezebel's realm and left his servant there but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a lone broom or juniper tree and asked that he might die so this is somebody who's not only done with chasing donkeys it's not like i'm i'm done with my routine and i want to be elevated and i want to be somebody prominent and i don't want to have to go and kill prophets false prophets and all this i don't want to work for god anymore but he's somebody who's just ready to leave the earth and so he says uh, he, he says here he asks is it is enough now lord i live long enough take away my life for i'm no better than my father's as he lay asleep under the broom or juniper tree behold an angel touched him and said to him get up and eat so that's god's response to people when they want to leave here before their time it's keep living see keep living keep living God knows your time he knows the length of your days he knows all of that stuff there's so many people who are suffering with sickness in their bodies and they sense they want to live longer and God is with them in that and he'll say keep living if you want to live longer keep living see God is for prolonging life not shortening it that's the devil's job so when you talk to God talk to him about prolonging your life but see God has something in mind because it's not Elijah's time to just quit you don't just quit when you're working for God look at Billy Graham huh? 95 years old as much as that man's traveled and the souls he's but in God's book he's not done yet in God's book he's not done yet and so what what those around him probably have decided to do to just keep supporting his life until God says something different nobody's heard from God anything different so we kept tell we tell people to keep living amen you want to live keep living and so he looked <clears throat> And the the angel tells him to get up and eat. And he looked and behold there was a cake baked on the hot coals and a bottle of water at his head. And he ate and drank and laid down again. The angel came but the Lord came to him a second time. He says arise and eat. Same order twice. The prophet's stubborn here. He thinks he can just eat something and go lay down. and Half obedience is disobedience folks. He doesn't get up. He just eats what's provided for him. Lays back down again. He said, it's not your time, buddy. You know, it's just not your time. So get on up. And he looked. There's, uh, he laid down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him. Arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. 
he arose ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights to Horeb the Mount of God so this is a test for him forty days and number forty always represents testing or trial in the word of God so his desire to depart and go is really being tested here you know it's it's, are you really serious Elijah is this really what you want to do I'll show you you're not ready to die yet you're going to go fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and you're going to wait on God until he speaks to you again and so he's And he says, there he came to a cave, verse 9, and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I'm the only one. I see, this reveals the heart of the prophet. He's tired of doing his routine for God. He's tired of preaching to a a stiff-necked, rebellious people. He's tired of speaking to people who still want to go up and worship the golden calf. Even though he's killed all the false prophets and they have said they want to serve God. This prophet knows these people are probably going back to doing what they do all the time. Sound familiar? It's like Jonah. They, they always get to the point where they think they know more than God. Just because they've had a few experiences with him. And that's what makes them want to quit. It's gotten routine to him now. It's gotten to be ordinary. It's gotten to be every day. It's the same old thing. Ahab and Jezebel. When are you going to get rid of them God. And put them out of here. And Here I'm the only one left. That's what he tells God. I'm the only one left. Who's really wanting to serve you. I'm the only one left. Who preaches the word right. I'm the only one left. And so he says I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant throw down your altars killed your prophets with the sword and I I'm the only one left and they seek my life to take it away. So this feeling of being isolated lonely all of that has overtaken him and that's what overtakes us in doing our daily routine of what God wants us to do. See, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, God, and look at everybody else, what they don't do. They don't work as hard as I hear that sometimes coming from people who do used to get joy out of what they were doing for God, used to think it was a privilege. And all of a sudden, they're watching what everybody else does and compares it to what they do. See, I'm the only one. And this is a common uh, 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 attack on the souls of people that the enemy does because they are disgruntled and dissatisfied with something else in their lives. Is something else out of whack? They wish God would do it faster. They wish God would do it right this time. I'm, I'm tired of God promising me stuff and I never get it. All this kind of stuff. And this is how they respond to God. They respond as though they're the only ones who are doing the right thing. Everybody else is sloughing off. Nobody does what they're supposed to do. They'll tend to watch certain people over and over again that they think are slackers and they think don't really do much, etc., etc. And it draws them off of the focus of their discipline, of their, because see, they're not shaped up either. If you're taking time to watch what somebody else does instead of guarding your own heart that the devil doesn't get in there and start to pull you away from God. 
you'll wind up on the outside looking in instead of where you're supposed to be. It's amazing sometimes them slackers can stay consistent over and over and over again for years and the people who think they're doing everything eventually quit. You got me? So it's a trick of the devil to get people to to give up like this. It's a trick of the enemy to get you to think that you're the only one who's really serious about serving God. My goodness, if that were true, this earth would have would have blown up a long time ago. You understand what I'm saying? And so God has to get him out of this mindset of pride is what it is. He's lifting himself up above everybody else and he's putting everybody else down. And so God tells him in verse 11, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind broke the mountains and broke it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after that, the earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. Now God has these, these different elements that are so powerful represent what God has placed in the prophet's hands as weapons to use. So what God is saying, I've let you use very powerful weapons throughout your ministry, but there's still something lacking. You don't know how to represent me in the quiet things. So you know how to represent me in the powerful destructive things, but you still don't know how to represent me in the quiet things. So our experience, our daily routine represents serving God in the quiet things, the things nobody notices. The things that don't get a lot of attention. The things that don't make us real prominent. That's where God wants us to know him as well. And so he wants the prophet to understand that I am in the fire sometimes. And I am in the earthquake. And I'm in all these powerful weapons that you've used in the past. But I'm also in a still, quiet, and gentle voice. And that's the one I want you to get to know. So when Elijah heard the voice, he wrapped his face in his mantle. Went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And be Behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he repeats what he says. I've been very jealous for the Lord of hosts because the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altar, slain your prophets with the sword. And I only I am left and they seek my life to destroy it. And the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, to be king over Israel and anoint Elisha, the son of shave hat to be a prophet in your place so in other words God is saying this since you haven't changed your thinking you haven't changed your attitude he says I'm the only one I'm the only one I'm the only one left I'm the only one serving you I'm the only one living right I'm the only one doing the right thing around here God says to him well if that's what you still standing on I'll let you have your way so I'll let you raise up somebody else to take your place so that you can train that person so that they can be a prophet in your place. If you don't want the job anymore, we can get somebody to replace you. So God is proving to the prophet, number one, that he's wrong in his assessment of the, the, the way things are. Anytime your carnal mind sets you up as being somebody who's so important that God can't get any work done. I mean, if you're the only one, why do you want to leave? That'll leave God without anybody. 
if you're the only one why if you're the only one who's right why are you so faint-hearted and that should make you stronger more determined if you're the only one who's who's right so the lord said to him in in, in verse 17 he said and him who escapes from the sword of hazel jehu shall slay and him who he says i got people who do this work he says if anybody gets away that that isn't serving me i raise up people to deal with that he says yet i will leave myself seven thousand in israel and all the knees that have not bowed to baal and every mouth that has not kissed him in other words i know besides you i've got at least seven thousand other people who serve me faithfully besides you you're not the only one so Elijah left there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, whose plowing was being done with 12 yoke of oxen, and he drove the 12th. Elijah crossed over him and cast his mantle upon him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah, and he said, Let me say goodbye to my parents first, and I'll follow you. Now, we know this to be something that's not acceptable in following Jesus remember it was a rich young ruler but Elisha has something else in mind that he must do and he goes back and what he does is he kills the oxen that he was plowing with and he roasts them on a fire made out of the yoke that they were tied together with so what he does is he kills his former life totally so he has nothing to go back to see that's the proper way to follow the lord once you and this is this is significant for elijah because elijah has been training sons of prophets to minister after he's gone yet god has to in a pinch raise up somebody who he can trust to do this so elisha has to demonstrate to the prophet of god his desire to sincerely follow him and his his heart to not go back to what he's been doing in other words i can stay with you i can do the routine i'm already committed to it i'm i'm here to serve you and i'm here to go and do what god wants me to do and so elijah gets a different understanding of god's sovereignty in this imagine you're already training some men to take your place and you probably got your eye on somebody you think who will be it and then God comes out of nowhere once you reveal your heart you're sick of this you're sick of doing this and so God reveals your heart to you and he goes and finds you somebody you don't even know who's alive and brings them over and they start ministering to you and actually Elisha is doing a better job at it than the sons of the prophets that Elijah's raising up on his own see God is sovereign he'll do anything he wants to do I've seen it over and over again people get get uh you know older in ministry and they think that God doesn't have somebody in mind to do something or to take over to do something for them and all of a sudden God will just reveal in his time he'll reveal to them who the person is that's to be responsible for these things this is God's work and he'll see to it that it continues you got me and so i love what fred price would tell people they would people would try to you know pat him on the back and oh fred you got a wonderful ministry and how do you do all of this and then he says i don't do anything 
he said I get up every morning and I talk to God the same way I've always done all these years he said if God told me tomorrow to stay home I'd do it he said this is his ministry his work what he's doing with it that's all up to God he said I have nothing to do with all of these decisions you're asking me about and so that's a good way to be let God be sovereign you be his servant and you just be faithful in doing what God has told you to do so um, uh, um, Elisha thinks that he's the only one serving God and I think it's a reflection on his work with the sons of the prophets as well because he doesn't see that you know there's a successor there he doesn't care anymore you know if he's ready to leave the earth and he thinks his work is over he should be talking to God about anointing somebody in his place but he's so fed up with everything and he's so tired of everything he doesn't care if somebody takes his place or not he's just God I'm ready to die take me out of here I'm the only one who's doing the right thing so so be it and I think some of that attitude is probably responsible for the sad condition of the sons of the prophets because you'll see at a later time when it's time for Elijah to be taken up to heaven uh, that the sons of the prophets that he's been training all these years are making fun of him and making fun of Elisha because they think once the man of God is died then it's all over just like he thought so sometimes that attitude that quit attitude that leaders have gets transferred on to their people see that whatever attitude that they carry will will oftentimes be transferred on to the people that are under them to serve so God lets Elijah know that I've got more people than you know about I've got you only know about what you think you see but I'm here to tell you I've got more so in verse 21 so Elisha went back from him then he took the yoke of oxen slew them boiled their flesh with the oxen's yoke as fuel and gave to the people and they ate then he arose followed Elijah and served him so he went about helping the man of God no questions no no misgivings he lays totally completely to waste his former life and he continues in this fashion uh, at least for four years uh, uh, some of the commentaries say that there's a four-year period of training here that Elisha underwent so that he could take Elijah's place God knows how long it's going to take you to get there folks but see all those years of him plowing oxen in his parents farm is really what's prepared him for this we think it's only uh, you know being around the things of God and being but your past life will often train you for the things that God has for you to do if you've been a faithful person working under somebody that faithfulness will transfer to the house of God it'll always transfer I, I was listening to a um, a person in charge of a missionary organization and they were saying uh, they were asking him uh, they said well you know you you get so many people here you you good at recruiting people into missionary work what do you look for in people when you are trying to train them for the mission field and the person said he said well you know the one thing I think that stands out is that most of the people who are successful here have a good record of serving in their churches 
He says, and I'm not talking about ministers. He said, I'm talking about people who serve in clerical work, who serve in in keeping up the facility and all that. He said, we seem to have the most success with people who have a good background in just serving in the church, no matter what it is. He said, and the longer record they have serving, the better they seem to do when they get here on the mission field. And so it's like whatever faithfulness they develop just gets transferred into a new situation. It doesn't phase them that they're over in a foreign nation. Uh, they don't speak the language. They don't have indoor plumbing. They don't have a lot of the the uh, conveniences. It's just that they have that discipline of wherever they are, they serve. And so that's what they do. They serve wherever they are. So in First Kings, let me see, we'll turn to 21 where were we? This is 19. The next uh, situation we want is in 1 Kings 21. And I think it's in verse 21. Elijah has to judge Ahab for taking away Naboth's vineyard. And so when it just seems like God has given uh, um Ahab chance after chance after chance uh, to straighten up his act. God's not really that willing to kill a king. You understand what I'm saying? Because he's the leader of the people and God has a, a mercy there for people in leadership, but it doesn't last forever. You know, if they're going to drag the people down, God has to remove them and uh, set them back up again. And so, but when it comes to taking away a man's inheritance, that's where God draws the line. And that's something you would think that if a king does something with somebody on his own level, you know, God would, would judge that. But he's kind of lenient in these situations where Ahab needs to go to war, doesn't want to go to war, and too scared to fight the enemy and all that kind of stuff. But Ahab then steals the only thing that this man has to pass on to his family. Kind of like David with Bathsheba. Remember that? And he murdered her husband and all of that. It just seems that when kings start to oppress and step on people, that's when God kind of steps in and really judges them simply because they are that it's such a violation of trust. You know, here you have these people, they don't have anybody but the king to look up to, and then the king wants to kind of oppress them. And so Elijah has to judge Ahab for Naboth's vineyard. And so <clears throat> God had already prophesied a victory for Ahab against Ben-Hadad, who is somebody, a king of Syria, that he's always bowing down to. But then God has to cancel that. And he says in verse 21, uh, verse 20, Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? See, this when you are not serving God and you're not doing the right thing, somebody who is is always your enemy. And he answered, I found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 21, see, says the Lord, I will bring evil on you and utterly sweep away and cut off from Ahab every male bond and free. Will make your household like that of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, and like the household of Basha, son of Ahisha, for the provocation which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel a sin. 
Also the Lord said to Jezebel, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. All of this came to pass. And the Lord said to Jezebel, uh, Sorry, and any belongings, verse 24, to Ahab, any belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. Any who dies in the field, the birds of the air shall eat. For there was no one who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord as Ahab incited by his wife Jezebel. And so you can see this is a, a pretty dangerous and evil pair. You can see why the prophet was so angry and alarmed and discouraged by them because here somebody's doing evil over and over and over again and the Lord keeps they'll repent for a minute get right promise God everything and then come back again doesn't that sound like life that sound like what we do that sound like you know we get off the track or we miss God or we get excited about something get over in the flesh and get stupid and then we come back to God again and so God is merciful but his his mercy endures forever but then he must judge wickedness and he must judge sin and so this is the judgment pronounced on on Ahab and Jezebel so Elijah gets his comeuppance here he gets to see that God will judge the wicked and he gets to pronounce judgment on the wicked and so here he is sending this word to Ahab and Jezebel all the time Elisha is in the background serving him in fact you don't see Elisha mentioned again until over when Elijah is getting ready to leave the earth and that's what we do when we count our donkeys we go about doing what we do unsung oftentimes feeling unappreciated unseen unknown unheard all of that stuff we think we're important we think we got something to say we're just waiting on an opportunity amen and so God keeps us in these places until it's time for us to come forth he's dealing with us and speaking to us all the time you can't tell me that he wasn't working on Elisha in the meantime pointing out different things uh, through the prophet's ministry showing him how to do these things as you serve the servant of God then God serves you and he teaches you and he helps you and uh, to me I'd rather be the servant any day than to have to be the responsible one because everything as you serve everything kind of comes to you it falls on you you know what I'm saying you just kind of get some things just by association when it comes to God I see people that God starts out you know really really well and then all of a sudden they just go and start grabbing you know I mean it's falling on you and you're having a good time with it understanding the things of God understanding how God moves understanding how God works understanding things about the anointing all of that and then all of a sudden something gets inside of people and they think they're gonna start grabbing now you know where it's been falling on you all along just continue to let it fall on you you got me everything that you need from God will fall on you but he wants to cultivate a servant's mentality because when the people start coming up to you you're not going to be their Lord you're going to be their servant you may be in charge but you're their leader you're not their Lord you got me Jesus is Lord but you're just leading them as you follow Christ and so there's no no big deal here there's no uh, there's no nothing to to put you in a different frame of mind that says being the person in charge is better than being the person that serves person in charge serves 
you know this is a servant uh, ministry this is a servant kingdom a servant always has to serve so there's there's nothing big coming Except maybe for Elijah, there'll, Elijah, there'll be a prayer answered. There's something that's on his heart that God has seen uh, all of these days. So in Second Kings one, this chapter ends with the death of of. Uh, Jezebel and Ahab and at the end we see Elijah Elijah coming to the end of his life and he's going to meet uh, the king of Samaria and, and uh, there's going to be kind of a showdown here where God will test the prophet Elijah at the end of his life on his last words so we see the last prophecy of Elijah to Ahaziah Ahab's son and so uh, there's a situation here in First, uh, Second Kings chapter 1. I'm not going to read it all because it's pretty lengthy. But they begin to challenge Elijah, the man of God. And Elijah, uh, uh, they want to manipulate him into changing his words. They want him to come down from his exalted place. And so the man of God continues to make a stand and refuses to come down. Uh, this is something that's very important for Elijah because he needs to go out on top. The thing that happens with people when they get weary and they get tired, they don't want the routine anymore. They don't want to serve God anymore. The devil's trying to get them to move and quit. They start to manipulate their prophecies to fit a comfort zone in their life. And so Elijah here stays faithful to the end. I think part of it has to do with the support and encouragement of his servant Elisha. The next man of God. Because many times leaders can draw strength from those that they lead. If those people are faithful. If people start giving you a hard time and get under your skin all the time. You get too many of them and you want to quit. You got me? So a leader wants to have faithful people around who can strengthen them. But not faithful people who want to manipulate them to give up. Or get over into the soul. So you got to have the right kind of strength around you. And I believe Elisha represents a strengthening of this man of God. So that he can continue and be faithful to God toward the end of his life. And so Elisha... <clears throat> is one who is uh, sent there by God. He's working with the prophet. And so Elijah's last prophecy is one that he takes a stand. He uh, destroys these captains of 50 who are coming to get him to come down and change the word that he's prophesying over the king. He's not going to do it. And so he stays. he stands fast in the word of God. And in chapter 2 and verse 1, we see this transferring of anointing from Elisha his replacement to Elijah the man of God now understand only four years of real training connection with the man of God have gone by where the sons of the prophets has been raised up with him see sometimes God will send people who are really hungry rather than use the ones who are there if there's no hunger in the ones who are there, God can't do much with them. And so here we see the, the time of departure, finally, of Elijah, the servant of God. And so in, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, it says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were going from Gilgal. 
Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, I pray you, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elijah replied, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So this is the relationship that they have. This is the connection. So they go down to, together to Bethel. Now Elijah, the servant of God, is testing still Elisha, his replacement. You could test it to the end. You got me? He's testing him to see if he will take the easy way out. Because he probably does this with the sons. He said, ah, y'all too slow. Let me just go by myself. You understand? He's accustomed to that. He's accustomed to having to go it alone. He's accustomed to having people that he's sewn into and can't get anything back out of them. You got me? Never get weary in well-doing. Because God will always raise up some. If you need support, encouragement, help, whatever, God will raise somebody up for you. And it doesn't always have to come from the people that you've sown into. The people that you expect would be the ones who would do these things. It can come out of wherever. Because God knows how to run his kingdom. Sometimes God is looking for a quality that you don't know exists. You got me? And he'll raise somebody up with that. And he says... Um, he, he's the prophets. Uh, sorry, verse two. We did that right. He said, "I'll not leave you." So they went down to Bethel. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came to Elisha and said, "Don't you know?" Now here we go. When you make up your mind to be wholehearted with God, and I'm sure there's probably some jealousy going on here. Sons of the prophets, well, we've been along around all this time, and now he comes out of nowhere taking our job. You got me? Taking my place. I used to be up there pouring water over his hands. Now he up there doing it. Just kissing up to him. Well, Elijah, he going he gonna to learn one day that he's a fake and he's a phony. And he's going to go off and leave him. And he ain't going to be around like we are. Right. Uh, yeah, right. He don't want him around like you are. So Elijah said to him, Terry, here I pray you, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said, Don't you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? In other words, this man is going to die. Why don't you go and find you something else to do? got me just because the man or woman of God is maybe in a weakened condition not what you thought it was going to be about or, or they're in a place where God is testing them to see if they're going to stay faithful you just don't know about these things you better obey God you better find out from God what God wants you to do and you better be about doing it and don't disconnect don't let go and don't be moved by other people's words and from the appearance of things and so he says the two of them went on verse 7 50 men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood to watch afar off now they're thinking they're going to see something that's going to prove them to be right because they're expecting well if the man of God leaves he'll just be dead and here Elisha then came and he's only spent four years with him they're discounting him because he hasn't been with them long everybody thinks that length of years means something to God length of years were you faithful did you learn anything from the man of God did you serve him faithfully or were you just waiting for him to die so you can fight over who's going to get this and who's going to be next and who's going to are you what are you waiting on what do you think you're waiting on 
But they must see Elisha as some kind of threat to them. Because they keep trying to get him to disconnect. See? They keep trying to get him to disconnect. Elisha took... So Elisha took his mantle, verse 8, and rolled it up, struck the waters, and they divided this way and that so that the two of them went over on dry ground. But you notice the 50 sons didn't go with them, did they? When they had gone over, Elijah said to Elisha, and asked what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. Elisha said, I pray you, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He said, you have asked a hard thing. However, if you see me when I'm taken from you, now this is the promise. See, Elisha is aware of the requirement already. People who are obeying God and following God are already aware of what God requires. People who aren't following, just following in the flesh, following from afar off, watching to see what's going to happen, watching to see if they can see somebody fall or be disappointed. People who are watching in the flesh are never aware of what's going on in God's heart. So the prophet Elisha already knows the requirement. He knew the requirement when he came and, and got him off his farm four years ago. He knew the program he knew what God expected he probably talked about a God God about it already probably had dreams about what he was going to do he's he's chasing his donkeys until God releases him from it instead of trying to release himself and promote himself and push himself forward he learns how to walk with God and do God's will until God says it's time for you to to move on and be promoted and that makes all the difference in the world because when you move with God nothing will be lacking from what you do nothing will be lacking from what you know is necessary and so the prophet tells him whatever you think is on your heart in other words Elijah now is trusting Elisha to know what God has spoken to him that he's going to need to be a greater success than the prophet who trained him. So this is God's idea. Then the Bible says the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of God is supposed to increase on his servants and from one generation to the next not decrease. We shouldn't be looking for revivals all the time. We should be able to increase and be able to reach for what we need to serve humanity in a greater fashion. We shouldn't be sitting around dormant, bored, looking for, oh God, send revival so people can get up and know you again and all that kind of stuff. We should have those things available to us. They should be locked into people in the earth so that we know how to to go to them and draw from it if it doesn't come to us on our own. And so here Elisha trusts Elijah. He knows what this man, he knows this, this young prophet has spoken to God and God has put on Elisha's heart what he needs and he said this is probably what Elijah should have asked for was more power more ability more of God instead of quitting and giving up always go to God and ask for more you can always ask for more don't quit don't faint don't give up there's always something about God we haven't tapped into yet something about God that is yet to be revealed something about God that he's reserved for this time in our lives there's more folks there's always more chasing donkeys can all and getting bored with life can always make you think you have it all already 
and you're just waiting on your opportunity to drift off and go find something else but you haven't tapped into to 50% of what God has for you in this place right now because your attention now is more on you as Elijah's was and it wasn't on what God wanted to do so Elisha asks him he says he wants a double portion of your spirit you know why he asked that he says this is a this is just like you said it was the, the, the rulers are bad. The people are bad. They're, they're serving false gods. I mean it's bad. They're ordaining homosexuals. They're intimidating preachers. They're doing everything that they can to discredit God and discredit his people. And Christians are acting like the world. So we need more of God. We don't need to go off and act like them and quit. We need more of God. We need a double portion of what's on you. He said, Elijah, I'll never make it just with what you have. He said, I've worked under you. I've seen what you've got. He said, I need more because this, this generation is getting more wicked and not less. And so he says he's asked him a hard thing. He said if you stay with me till the end you'll get it. And as they went on and talked it happened. That instant. See if he were concerned about time. It's a good thing he was smart enough not to be concerned about time. He walked maybe another 10 feet or so. And the chariot came down and took Elijah up to heaven. So once you make the decision that you're going to go on with God. And you start stepping into it. That's when God shows up and blesses you. That's when he shows up and gives you what you've been wanting. That's when he shows up and starts to promote you. That's when is when you make the decision to continue on with God. While you're sitting being bored. And, and disgruntled and wishing you could be someplace else and not wanting to do this anymore and I'm tired of doing this year after year after year and things don't change when you're like that you won't get it but the minute you make the decision you know what God no if it doesn't get any better I'm gonna like this just where it is if it doesn't get any greater if I don't get any greater in the earth I'm gonna be happy doing what I do for you because it's for you and so this is the way you have to to live and so this prophet was able to receive the blessing of God exactly what he asked for while the 50 sons of the prophets watched from afar and were amazed all they could do at that point was decide are we going to continue to serve God and devote ourselves to this new man of God or what are we going to do because they weren't the ones who were chosen to, to stand in Elijah's place Elisha saw it and he cried verse 20, 20 uh, verse 12 my father my father the chariot of Israel and its horsemen and he saw him no more he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in pieces that's a sign of mourning because he loved the man of God and he took up also the mantle of Elijah in other words he says but I'm here to work you got me I love you I miss you but I'm also here to work and so he took it up and it, it's a mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan and he took the mantle and he says where is the God of Elijah he tested to make sure that God was with him before he stepped out and tried to do anything and I think that's one thing that's missing from a lot of people that we see in leadership they never test what they have to make sure that God's with them. You got me? They just assume. They get out and they go through the motions of what they see other ministers do. And they assume they've got it. They don't test it to make sure that God is with them. 
And so here the prophet tests that mantle to make sure it works for him just like it worked for the man of God before him. Many leaders that are released today release themselves. They're not released from anybody. You know, you can get on Facebook or YouTube or something and pretend to have a ministry and to pretend to be anointed and pretend anything and get get people, 50 people to like you, to click like all the time and agree with you and even share scripture with you. But that doesn't mean that you have the goods. That doesn't make you anointed of God. And it doesn't mean that God released you into it. This means that you got bored counting donkeys and decided to promote yourself. And so we have to look at what God is telling. What's he telling you to do? What's your routine? And what's your attitude in your routine? What do you like to do in God? What does he give you to do that you can say this is something that I accomplish in God? He's given it to me as my joy. He's given it to me as my delight. He's given it to me as as a, a, a way to connect with him and a way to know that I'm I'm being used by him. All that kind of stuff. We have to hold on to those things and treasure them, folks. You can't let them go. There's too many winds blowing out here that are telling you to quit doing the routine things and let's go go try to find something interesting to do let's go try to find something fun to do and 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 there'll be a loss for it because we won't be able to carry out what God has called us to carry out in the earth so the the men in verse 19 it says the men of that city said to Elisha behold inhabiting of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees but the water is bad the locality causes miscarriages and, and barrenness so immediately they start to look up to Elisha as their leader see they know who has the goods they know who has the goods Elisha uh, uh, documented biblically documented uh, twice as many miracles as Elijah did that's I think there's seven documented for Elijah 14 for Elisha in the word of God we know he did many many more as a servant of God who had a double portion of that man's spirit but it's interesting he valued the prophet of God till the very end sons of the prophets valued him up until a certain point see you got to find value in what God places in your life even when it's not joyful anymore even when it's not fun anymore, even looks like when it looks like you're not going to be the one selected anymore. You have to value the things that God puts into your life and value them forever because God has placed them in your life to stay. Praise God. Um, Ms. Juana, how much time do we have? Ten minutes? I'll read you this. This is a, a summary of Elisha's life that I found uh, on a commentary. So, you know, just bear with me. But we got ten minutes left on the teaching. So I'll give you an overview of his life so you can see what God did developing this man in four years under the prophet's anointing. You got me? And the others have been under much longer. But this man... Because he was faithful when that man of God found him. You got me? He was doing what God put in his heart to do. And he was faithful. Chasing his donkeys. In his case it was oxen. But the same concept. Faithful under his father's authority. And faithful in doing the boring everyday things. That need to be done to develop godly character and discipline in him. He was able to be successful in his life. It says here we know next to nothing about Elisha's early life. Until sometime around the year 856 B.C. 
when he was probably in his 20s. He appears to have come from a wealthy landowning family if the number of oxen they had plowing is anything to go by. When the prophet Elijah arrived suddenly his response to his call was immediate. Elijah made it clear that it was up to him whether or not he responded to God's call when Elisha asked permission to say farewell to his parents. To demonstrate his determination to follow Elisha dramatically severed his links to his past by slaughtering the pair of oxen he was plowing with and cooked their meat over the wood of his plow and gave it to his friends and relatives. Scripture tells us that he then left and became Elijah's attendant or servant in a similar way perhaps to that of Joshua who served Moses. We hear nothing more of Elisha for at least the next four years but we can assume that he faithfully served Elijah during that period and learned from him knowing that the Lord was about to take <clears throat> him Elijah tested his servant's devotion by asking him three times to remain while he went on to Bethel, Jericho, and over the Jordan. Elisha and the other prophets of the Lord were well aware um, well aware of what was about to happen and he refused to leave his master. When they reached the far side of the Jordan, Elijah asked him what he wanted. Elisha replied, a double portion of your spirit, indicating that he wished to succeed him in his prophetic office. Given the number of miracles that Elisha performed during Elisha performed during his lifetime, it is possible that he was also asking for an even greater ministry than Elijah himself had. Suddenly Elijah was taken away in a whirlwind and Elisha received what he asked for taking up the mantle that he had worn briefly only once before he struck the waters of the Jordan and parted them there the members of the prophetic community met him and despite his objections they assisted on conducting a search for Elijah Elisha proved to be of a different character to his former master whereas Elijah had been a solitary figure spending much of his time alone even without a servant Elisha was often found in the company of the sons of the prophets and even with the elders of Samaria Elisha spent some time some of his time with the kings of Israel on one occasion the king of Judah as well while it was seldom appropriate for Elijah to spend time in the presence of Ahab while he allowed Baal worship his son Joram put aside the Canaanite deities and worshiped the golden calves that Jeroboam had set up though he was far from perfect and at times threatened the prophet's life at other times he did honor the prophet and referred to him uh, differentially as my father um, in common with Elijah Elisha's ministry took him far and wide but we know that he had his own house in Samaria and the use of an upper room in the town of Shunem when he was in that region an arrangement that went on much longer than Elijah's with the widow of Zarephath the overall impression we get is that of a man who is prepared to be involved in society and everyday details of life he was even willing to lend his aid in recovering a lost axe head to one of his students but like his master would not suffer any insult against his office to go unpunished two external factors dominated the early years of his ministry famine and war we know that both of these were signs of God's covenantal curses being carried out on a stubborn and disobedient nation. Such curses affect both the guilty and the innocent and in many ways Elisha's activities lifted the burden from those who had been faithful to the Lord.
Moab, which had been a vassal of Israel, revolted during the reign of Joram, and the king set out, accompanied by the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, and the governor of Edom. After seven days, the army ran out of water and was in danger of dying of thirst in the desert. Fortunately, and apparently unbeknown to the king of Israel, Elisha had accompanied them on their march. He reassured the leaders and ordered the men to dig ditches across the valley. The next morning, water filled the ditches, and the Moabites, thinking that the sun reflected on the water, uh, reflecting on the water was the blood of their enemies, descended upon them, intent to plunder, what, but, but were defeated by them. The famine is first mentioned in Second Kings 4:38. Elisha had early, earlier solved the town of Jericho's problems with his water supply, but twice now he intervened on behalf of the company of the prophets in order to provide them with food. In the first instance, once one of the company had made the communal meal inedible by adding the gourds from a poisonous plant to the stew. As it appears that the company numbered around a hundred, such an occurrence meant a considerable amount of valuable food was going to be wasted. Elisha therefore performed a miracle and rendered it edible again. In the second incident, he miraculously made twenty barrel barley loaves feed a hundred men. The lot of a widow in the ancient world was difficult at the best of times, how much more so when the land was in the grip of a drought. The account of Elisha's ministry to the widow in Second Kings 4 is reminiscent of Elijah's time as Zarephath. This time, however, the widow approaches the prophet and not vice versa and tells him of her misfortune. Her husband had faithfully served the Lord and now he had died, leaving the wife and his children without any means of support. Taking what they had, Elisha miraculously provides her with the means of survival. As a reward for providing him with a place to stay when he was a regent in that region, Elisha made it possible for her son to have even for, for to have a son even though her husband was an old man. When the child died unexpectedly, the woman lost no time in seeking out the prophet on Mount Carmel, not letting either her husband or Elisha's servant Gehazi delay her in her quest. It is not certain what Elisha intended to achieve by sending Gehazi with his staff. It was to revive the child, as Gehazi clearly expected, he was unsuccessful. However, in view of the husband's skeptical attitude, it may well have been necessary to prevent the child from being buried. By placing the symbol of his authority on the child, Elisha could have ensured that the body remained untouched until he arrived. The account of the woman does not end with her happy reunion with her son, but we learn later that when seven years of famine was over, Gehazi introduced her to the king of Israel who restored not only all her lands but also the income it had earned during her absence uh, her absence was restored to her the war with Aram continued and Elisha's fame brought brought about a visit from a very important person Naaman the Syrian uh, general was used to having people jump to attention when he asked for something how are we doing time wise couple minutes he clearly felt insulted that the prophet would not even see him when he arrived at his house especially as he had brought enough money to buy the whole of Israel when Elisha sent a messenger to tell him to wash himself in the Jordan several times the general went away in a rage but later claimed by his servants 
uh, calm by his servants he did as the prophet commanded the next incident was probably one of the saddest moments of the prophet's career Elisha had refused any reward from Naaman but being filled with greed his servant Gehazi ran after the departing dignitary and received from him the reward which he had hid he then hid Elisha knew what he had done and calling Gehazi to him the prophet rebuked him from that day Gehazi received the leprosy that had been that had been Naaman's Elisha's ministry played a pivotal role in the history of the northern kingdom. During his lifetime, Jezebel and the threat of Baalism that his master had struggled against uh, was finally dealt with, although the people did not abandon worship of the golden calves. It was he who carried out Elisha's command and anointed Hazel, Hazel king of Aram. On his deathbed, Elisha prophesied that Je Joash of Israel would defeat Aram only three more times in battle. Despite a reversal in their fortunes during the reign of Jeroboam, the Syrians would continue to reduce the size of Israel's army. In so doing, they were carrying out the first installment of the Lord's judgment on Israel until both nations were swept away by the rising tide of the Assyrian army. Elisha received his call to the Lord's service out of the blue, but his response was immediate and dramatic. He severed his links with his past life, bearing his plow and slaughtering his pair of oxen. During his early ministry, Jesus Christ seemed to have alluded to Elisha's call, stressing that to be one of his disciples required even greater commitment. Nevertheless, Elisha remains an outstanding example of humility, faithfully serving his new master until he departed. He showed his determination to receive what he had been promised by the Lord and would let no one distract him from it. When he came to his own ministry, he refused the riches that were offered him by name in the Syrian, and he was able to see with spiritual insight that he was not alone in his struggle. The writer to the Hebrews alludes to his ministry as one of the Old Testament heroes that would inspire us to greater devotion because the promises that we have received are greater than theirs. Amen? Okay, so that's a little history of Elisha. Amen. Amen. So, chasing your donkeys, folks, is important. In fact, we're always doing it. There's always the routine and the everyday in our lives. And then sometimes God blesses us with something very, very interesting <laughs> and spectacular. But he wants us to be molded into his son's image above all things. Amen. Praise God. Father, we thank you for giving us your word and giving us understanding, allowing us insight revelation and knowledge we thank you lord for blessing us to know everything that we need to know about your kingdom about its principles about the way that you handle things with us lord and we thank you so much for it in jesus name amen praise god amen 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 if anybody needs prayer come on up